Welcome and thank you for listening to the Okuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, leading by empowering others, and linking to our community. Today, Pastor Humby Cervera will share a message with you. We hope you enjoy it. It's the final week of Fruit of the Spirit, and at this point, you know what the series is about. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, you can always watch us on YouTube, or you can catch us on our audio podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Now, in this series, we're taking a deep dive into the idea of spiritual fruit. And the reason we're taking this deep dive is because fruitful is the word that is guiding Akuo Church for this year. And to kick off the year, we learned to dig our roots deep into the riverbank of God's living water. Because we know that when we can dig our roots into the riverbanks of God's living water, which is the Holy Spirit, we connect with God. That connection with God is what bears spiritual fruit in our lives. And because we have learned these things, here at Akua Church, we are doing our best to be fruitful this year and every year after this. So in this series, we want to show you all the different ways that you can apply the fruit you receive for yourself and how you can share that fruit with other people around you. Now, with that being said, today, we're going to get into your business a little bit. We're going to be a little bit too close for comfort. So we just want you to sit down and enjoy it because we want this to be more than like a spiritual TED Talk. We want it to be better than just happy feelings and uh, some wisdom all around. Now, this series is based around the scripture that we find in Galatians 5. There it says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this week we jump into the topic of self-control, which makes me think about my own self-control. Now guys, for the most part, I'm okay at self-control. I mean, I'm willing and happy to say no to all kinds of things without any problems. But there's one place in my life where I lack self-control. I'm like, not just a little, like almost an absolute zero self-control. Guys, there's this one thing in my life that when I get next to it, I I just gotta get my hands on them. It's fresh baked cookies. Now, I'm sure you're like laughing about it at home, haha, funny, funny, but I'm totally serious. I have so much trouble around a batch of soft baked cookies. It's dangerous for me to have them in my house. You see, just recently, I decided that I wanted to make some cookies. So I went to the fridge to get some of that packaged cookie dough that's like pre-cut and you just throw it on the baking sheet and and just kind of do it like that. So I went to the fridge and threw it on the counter while the oven heated up, which is a pro tip for baking cookies for all of you out there. Uh, When the outside is warmed a little bit outside of the fridge, when it gets baked, it's like the outside's a little crispy and then it's softer on on the inside. It like, it always hits right. Anyways, uh, I get a dozen of them into the oven and then I go do some stuff. I'm actually like writing my sermon that night and, uh, and the timer goes off and I just pull them out. So here's where it gets crazy. Some of you are like, it's not crazy yet, but it is. So the amount of time that I wait from when I put the cookie sheet down to when I start eating my first cookie is like normally less than a minute. So I will eat that first cookie piping hot, like ridiculously hot. So once I grab like that crazy hot cookie and I eat that, kind of slowly, I'll go get another one. Now, normally when my family is around, I don't go too crazy. Uh, But the last time I made cookies was late. Like I said, I was working on my sermon and I figured I'd just like make some cookies to keep my energy up throughout the night. I know, poor choice. Well, I grabbed a few cookies here and there as I'm eating, you know, they're hot, they're cooling and cooling until I realized I finished about a dozen cookies within an hour or so. It was not my finest hour, but it was a pretty delicious one. Anyways, is there that thing in your life 
that you just can't keep under wraps. There's just like one more show turning to Netflix asking you, are you still watching? Does one last look at the phone for the night turn into hours of scrolling? Does one more cookie turn into you shoveling baked goods into your mouth like you belong on Sesame Street? Does one more drink turn into you stumbling around wasted? Or does one more text the person that you shouldn't be texting turn into an entire night of doing the wrong thing? I mean, we all have that weak spot in our life where we lack control. We all have parts of our life where we are tempted. Now, the lousy part of this is that when we give into temptation, there are consequences on the other side. A night of Netflix or playing on your phone means you're going to be exhausted the next day. Eating an entire sheet of cookies isn't going to help your health out or shape in any way. Getting wasted can lead to terrible hangovers and poor decisions that you made the night before. And that conversation you're having late at night could turn into something that would change your life for the worse. We need help when it comes to self-control. Remember, we just read that in Galatians a few, minute, a few minutes ago. It's the Holy Spirit that produces this fruit of self-control. As a matter of fact, we see this when we take a closer look at the phrase self-control. So the original language that was used at that point would have been Greek. It was the language that was spoken by the author Luke. So when we look at this Greek word that is translated into self-control, we can see a little bit more about what it means. The Greek word used here is enkratia, enkratia, in which means this idea of mastery or dominion or control coming from within. So it's not necessarily control that's created within yourself, by yourself, but rather a control that comes from within you outward. So when you connect this idea to the, when you connect this to the idea of spiritual fruit only coming from the Holy Spirit, then you can start to see how this makes sense. Self-control isn't something that we do by ourselves. It's something that can only happen when we're connected to God. It's something that can only happen when we have dug our roots deep in the riverbanks of God's living water, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this can be frustrating for us. We just want to like put our heads down and fight our ways through these things that we can't control against. But we need help. It's not how it works. I need help. And if you're watching with us live, I want you to type that into the chat. I need help. If you're just listening and not able to chat right now, just say that out loud. I need help. And it's okay that you need help from something else because we aren't the only ones that need help when faced with temptation. As a matter of fact, we see this exact thing happen when Jesus was tempted. We see uh, it happen in an account written by a former physician turned historian named Luke. What we know about Luke is that he is thought to be someone that didn't know about who God was growing up, but at some point in his adult life, Luke became a believer. Then sometime after that, Luke used his scholarly abilities to research and document the life of Jesus. Now, Luke wasn't there when it actually happened. However, Luke was able to sit down and interview people that were there and able to recount what happened. He then recorded everything like a good historian does. Theologian and author William Barclay says this in the commentary of Luke's book called The Gospel of Luke. He says, The gospel according to St. Luke has been called the loveliest book in the world. It would not be far wrong to say that the third gospel is the best life of Christ ever written. Now this is high praise for Luke's ability to get the story of Jesus down in such an amazing way. 
Here is how Luke begins his account of Jesus' life. There he says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an, an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So here you can see that Luke has done everything he can to keep things accurate for the person that more than likely commissioned this to be recorded, somebody named Theophilus. Now in this account, we see a story that actually deals with the self-control we're talking about here today. This story we're going to read happens in the fourth chapter of Luke's account. At this point, Jesus has just been baptized, and the power of the Holy Spirit has descended upon him, and Jesus is now ready to operate at his full capacity. However, there is something that is going to happen before Jesus can go and start his ministry. Let's take a look at it. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So here we see a few things happen. First off, Luke makes it clear that Jesus is walking around full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has his roots dug deep in the riverbank of God's living water. So while he's in the wilderness for 40 days, the temptations start. Here's what I find very interesting. The first thing that Satan tells Jesus is, if you really are the Son of God, right here, right at the start, he is straight up challenging who Jesus is. Then he follows it with something I'm sure Jesus was thinking about, how hungry he was. Jesus hasn't eaten anything out there in the desert. So Satan is just poking at him like, hey man, hey man, why don't you just like, Conjure up some food with all that power that you have. I mean, I know I would have crumbled if there was like a plate of fresh cookies right there. I'm the worst. But anyways, that's not the only way that Jesus is tempted here. Satan follows that doozy up with a presentation of the earthly kingdom. Now think of all the beauty that you've seen here on this earth. The great sunsets, oceans, mountains, everything. Satan showed it off to Jesus and offered the kingdom to him. Once again, appealing to the pride and potential thirst for power that resided in Jesus and with all of us people. Both times that Jesus is tempted, he meets that temptation with God's word. The first time he quotes from the Jewish scripture, which we would call the Old Testament. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy that we do not live on bread alone. What Jesus is doing here is calling back to a situation where the Jews were wandering the desert and having to depend on God to get out of there. They knew that while food was good, it was not the only thing they needed. They knew they needed God the Father above everything else. And in the same way, Jesus knew the plan that was in front of him, and he was trusting in the Father and his word for sustenance. Jesus knew that God would not let him die in the wilderness. And Jesus' understanding of God's plan is also how he was able to dispatch the idea of becoming the ruler of the natural world that Satan showed to him. 
Jesus knew he didn't need to depend on the power of Satan to be a ruler in the world. Once again, Jesus pointed back to God's word to break down what Satan was offering him. Now, this wasn't the end of the temptations, though. Let's take a look back in Luke's account. There it says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, I feel like this might have been the trickiest one of the three temptations recorded because of how close to the right thing that this looked like. You see, if Jesus was to go into the city of Jerusalem, which was the center for worship for the people of Jewish faith, and jump off the temple, then God's angels would catch him. That doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? I mean, Jesus is God's son. When my son was little and like, tried to jump off a of bed, I, would, I like, would run and slide on the floor to try and keep him from hitting the ground. This is normal dad stuff, right? Well, here's the problem. Jesus hadn't yet started his ministry. He hadn't gone out and preached the good news, healed people, or changed the hearts of people. Satan knew that the nation, seeing Jesus' miraculous protection from such a jump, would immediately accept him. The devil even quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12 to show that Jesus would be kept safe from harm. However, Jesus was aware of the implication. To receive the acceptance of the people without going to the cross would be to question whether God was really in the plan at all. It wasn't the right time for people to know who Jesus fully was. The timing wasn't right. So even though this isn't necessarily a terrible thing by some views, this is absolutely the wrong thing when it comes to maintaining God's plan and timeline for Jesus' life. How many times have you found yourselves in situations like this, where you're looking at a situation and you're being tempted? You might be tempted to do the wrong thing. You might be tempted to do the right thing at the wrong time. Maybe your pride has been challenged. Maybe someone inferred that you aren't that smart. Maybe someone made you feel weak or inferior. Or maybe someone made you feel entitled to it, like you deserve this thing, so go get it. No matter what it is, we've all felt this temptation at some point. We've all felt like we need to fight and make things happen on our own or by our own plan. If you feel like I'm talking directly to you right now, it's okay, because I'm talking directly to myself right now. Like, I know I've talked with you guys about this before, but this has been my life for the last year or so. I have tried to change the timing of this church multiple times. At the start of COVID, I wasn't fully ready to get a cooler church started. Then, later on, I couldn't, I didn't want to wait to meet up. I somehow have been flying between like every single part of the spectrum. But you know what never changed? God's timing. In all of this, every time I swung from one way or another, he asked me the same question. Do you trust my timing? Guys, I'm impatient, and I need to hear from God multiple times before I get it. I need to hear from God multiple times before I get it. I need to hear from God multiple times before I get it. And here's the crazy thing. We, we see it the way we see it when it comes to self-control. Not doing the wrong thing is only half of it. It isn't just about holding your breath and white-knuckling this until the temptation passes. I mean, of course we want to stay away from doing the wrong thing, but there is more. 
Self-control is about action just as much as it is about inaction. Let me rephrase that. Self-control is about staying away from the wrong thing and doing the right thing. We see this in the account of Jesus, right? Each time he was presented with the wrong thing to do. Each time Jesus didn't do the wrong thing, he stayed from the wrong thing with the help of God's word. That's when the temptation was over. But Jesus didn't stay in the same place. He didn't stay in the wilderness. He didn't stay in the place of temptation. He moved on to the thing he needed to do. He moved into the start of his ministry. Jesus knew that he needed to start connecting with people. So he left the wilderness to do that. This is what I want you to remember today. When you find yourself in the wilderness being tempted, keep going. You aren't meant to stay there. You were called for more. If you're in the chat with us right now, type that in. Type in, I am called for more. If you aren't in the chat, just say that out loud wherever you're at. I am called for more. The same thing went for Jesus. The wilderness wasn't the end of the story. There was so much more. Jesus walked through communities. He listened to God. He loved on the people that were there. He healed them. He prayed with them and for them. He showed them the way that they would be able to access the Father in, in a way that they never had before. He led by empowering. He helped the disciples realize that even though they weren't the best and the brightest, they were the perfect people to spread Jesus' message. And he linked to his community. Jesus did the ultimate linking to us for eternity. So Jesus lived this amazing, beautiful life without sinning, without doing anything that would cause him to fall short of God's glory. But he was despised for it. He was hated by the religious elite of those times. So much so, they figured out a way to get him murdered by the Romans in power through crucifixion. The Romans made Jesus carry a cross to the place where he would be crucified. Then when he had his hands and feet nailed to that cross, he was mocked by the Roman soldiers. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And while he was on that cross, he was side by side with criminals. And one of them mocked Jesus as well. He said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Satan back in the day? Now imagine the pain that is shooting through Jesus' body during these moments. Then he hears the mocking of these people. And you know what? These people make a lot of sense. He is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah. He has unlimited power. He could have used like magnetic powers to take the metal nails out of the body and then like shoot them at all the people around him. Then he could have super healed himself, flown down to the ground, then like hulked out on every single person there, destroyed the Roman Empire and the system that had put in place to rule the Jewish people. He could have done all that. Think about this situation. Picture what Jesus was going through, the pain and the frustration the total betrayal that he must have been feeling. Think about that. Then think about this. What would you do right here? How would you react to being up there on that cross with all that power? Not only that, you're in the right. 
You are innocent. You've literally never done anything wrong in your entire life. And not only that, you're actually going to save the entire world. What would you do if you were the one up on that cross? Would you do what you want or show self-control? I'm not sure I would be able to go through with it. But you know what? Jesus did it. He allowed the Holy Spirit to bear self-control in his life. His self-control led Jesus to lay his perfect life down for us as the ultimate sacrifice for all the ways we've fallen short of God's glory. And after Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb that was like a cave on a Friday afternoon. A huge rock was rolled in front of it to make sure nobody got in to mess with the body. On Sunday morning, the women that followed Jesus showed up to finish anointing his body with all the oils and spices that they would use to embalm bodies at that time. But when they got there, the giant stone had been rolled out of the way and Jesus' body was gone. While the women were looking around, two men appeared to them in dazzling clothes. We assume that they were angels. So let's see what happens here uh, in Luke's account. There it says, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? So Jesus had risen. Jesus had returned with death defeated, just as was planned from the start. Guys, this is what Easter is about. It's not about barbecues and egg hunts and pastel shirts. Now, while there's nothing wrong with these things, Easter is about Jesus rising from the dead. Easter is about Jesus allowing the Holy Spirit to grow self-control in his life in a way that he was able to become the Savior for the entire world. And you can be one of the people that he saved. It's really easy. All you have to do is have a conversation between you and God, which we would call prayer. Now, in this prayer, you just need to let him know that you're on board with this idea that Jesus did this. It doesn't take a ton of faith. If you're just like 1% sure that this is real, that's all you need to take to God. We all have questions about this, but we're learning along the way. You don't have to come with full knowledge and full faith for this to work. It's actually the opposite. When you have this conversation with him, your knowledge and your faith is grown through the Holy Spirit. So if you want to do this today, but you don't have like the right words, you can just pray along with me. And also, I want everyone listening right now to bow their heads in prayer because here at Akuo, no one prays alone. You always have a community praying along with you. So just bow your heads and pray these things along with me. Jesus, thank you for your self-control. Thank you for your sacrifice. Today, I want you to know that I believe in you. From here on out, I want to follow you the best way I know how. Amen. Now, if you have been a believer, whether it's been for the last four seconds or the last four decades, we are all benefiting from Jesus' self-control. And that is so exciting. We get to reap the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice, and that is reason to celebrate. So right now, let's get excited. Let's get fired up. And let's go and talk to God. Pray something like this along with me. Jesus, Thank you, thank you, thank you. You will never cease to amaze me. 
I ask that today and every day moving forward, that you would bear your spiritual fruit within me. I ask that you would grow more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in my life. I ask that every single person that I come across would be able to see the fruit and be drawn to you because of that. Thank you for living a perfect life, dying the death of a criminal and raising from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. Amen. All right, guys, that's the end of our Easter service. I just have a few things to share with you uh, before you head out. Next week, we're going to kick off a totally new series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be getting into what has fed your fruit. Now, when you think about actual trees, what can help your fruit grow is fertilizer. The same thing can happen in our lives. Crappy situations can allow God to shine the brightest in our lives. And that is what we're going to be talking about in our next series called Fruit Feeder. This will be a series you do not want to miss out on, so be sure and watch along with us next week at 8.30 and 10. Next, I want to talk about how we practice generosity here at Akuo. What we do is practice the biblical method of giving called tithing, which means giving a first fruit 10% offering to the storehouse, which is your local church. Now, we know that when you trust God with your finances, there is a great blessing. As a matter of fact, I just talked to somebody this week that said, I gave for the first time in years. He's someone who's dealing with terrible financial times, and he just went ahead and said, you know what? I'm going to give these $9 that I have in my pocket. And that exact day, he had lunch paid for him and his phone bill paid for, even though he didn't have the money. And you see, it's not really about the money when it comes to that. It's not about the money at all. It's about receiving the blessing because now he can apply that idea that when he gives something over to God, God's going to bless it to the rest of his life. So he can trust his family with God now. He can trust his job situation with God now. He can hand all of that over because he's seen God work. And that's what we want for you guys. We want you to do that. Now, I understand for some of you guys, that's not just how it can work because you're in such a tough situation right now. So if you're one of those people that needs help, please link to us. We want to be linked to you right now. You can do that by going to our website, akuo.church, or by emailing me directly at humby.sedveta at akuo.church. Now, if you can tithe right now, we have a few ways that you can tithe. The first way that you can tithe is by going to our website, akuo.church, and clicking on the giving link. We also have our text-to-tithe option. For that, all you have to do is text AKUO, A-K-O-U-O, in the dollar amount you want to tithe to the number 77977. If you don't want to give electronically, we also have our P.O. box available if you would like to send your tithe through a check. For that, all you have to do is mail your tithe to AKUO at P.O. Box 100-125, San Antonio, Texas, 78201. Now, one last thing, guys. I just want to remind you about our Zoom group. This is a great way for us to get together and hear how God is bearing fruit in us and how we can share it with one another. Also, as a bonus for this week, we will be sharing in communion with one another. And we want you to join us for this very special time together this Wednesday night at 7.30. For all the links to the Zoom group, all you have to do is go to any of our social media pages. Okay, guys, that's all that we have for you today. Like every single week, I want you to know that I love you all and I'm praying for all of you all week long. So before we go, let me just pray over you one last time. So Jesus, 
as everyone clicks off their browser, turns off their TV, and puts away their phone, I ask that you would be speaking to them. Jesus, I ask that you would help them plant their roots along your river. I pray, Lord, that you would bear fruit in their lives in amazing ways. Lord, I pray that you would, able, that you would be able to help them grow their self-control. I pray that you would help them be able to grow faith and love and gentleness and all the amazing things that you promise us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for everything, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We love you, and we pray all of these things in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, that's all that we have for you this week. We'll see you on Wednesday at Zoom Group. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.